Thanks. It is my privilege again to be before you as we have this opportunity to look into the Word of God. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to the multimedia ministry team at our church uh, under the leadership of Brother Brian Rollins and how uh, you all have really done a magnificent job at helping me to learn to navigate my way through modern technology and I pray that you would continue to uh, strive for excellence as we want to be effective as we help people reach their full potential in Christ as a disciple-making church that makes disciples. Uh, we invite you um, to join us and, and ask others to come uh, alongside by uh, pressing share at this time. I also learned that uh, Brother Anthony Giles has been able to transmit uh, the sermons to iPod, uh, uh, the, the version where you can have access uh, to the sermons in that way. So thank you, Brother Giles, and thank you all. I ask that we continue to lift up every member of New Direction Bible Fellowship Church as we seek to be filled and directed by the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Our passage today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as was already read in your hearing. I'm going to read it again, uh, verses 16 and 17, where the Word of God says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if any man defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, O oh God, that you are yet seated on your throne. And God, we thank you that even right now, through the Spirit of God, although we are in different places, there is a spirit of unity that is possible through the teach word of God. And God, we also ask that it would be the Spirit of God through the Word of God that would quicken so that we would learn those things that are going to help us to walk in the power and the might of your strength. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. As we um, embark upon our study of the Word of God, uh, one of the things that have caught my attention is that epidemiologists and geneticists throughout the world are doing their best to find a cure uh, for the COVID-19 crises. Uh, they want to limit and also control and, and hopefully um, totally eliminate this invisible killer. And while the scientists are busy at work uh, looking for solutions, there is a battle that is being waged among pastors around the world. And it's sometimes being uh, fought publicly, while other times in the privacy of conversations that are, are ongoing. And the issue that is being um, deliberated is, should pastors ever close the church building to parishioners? Is it ever right for the church not to assemble? What really brought that home for me is um, three pastors who are leaders of rather large churches in different parts of the country who made international news when one of the pastors from Florida decided to defy uh, the state order not to assemble in one place with more than 10 people. And he decided to have his entire congregation and more than a thousand people uh, came to church on that Sunday and following the service, the pastor was arrested uh, and charged with a misdemeanor, but his position was the church should never be closed. A second pastor in Louisiana uh, was interesting to me that he asked all of his members to donate their stimulus checks, um, said that the coronavirus is a hoax 
and Satan is using it to close the doors of the church uh, to stop the work of God. He also added that the disease cannot harm us because we are under the protection of God. And so he uh, planned a Sunday service and, and went through with it, and he too was arrested and ultimately released. And then there was a third pastor in Virginia, Chesterfield, Virginia, a pastor, uh, Gerald O. Glenn, Bishop Gerald O. Glenn. Uh, the Sunday before Easter, he stood in the pulpit and he said to his church that God is greater than the coronavirus. And as long as I'm a pastor, the doors of the church building will never be closed. And that the only way that he would not be in the pulpit on Easter Sunday would be because he was either in prison or in the hospital. The night before Easter, this pastor paid for his decision to defy the state order with his life. He died of the coronavirus at age 66. His wife also tested positive for the coronavirus and is now battling for her life. Now, I'm not intending to judge the heart of the pastors who felt convicted that it was God saying to them that the church building should be open for the congregation to assemble. What I believe needs to be said is that God is not as much concerned about where the church meets at as much as he is concerned that the church be the church. That means where whether we are gathered or scattered, God wants us to be his church. And so if it happens to be in a building, he wants us to be his church. And if it happens when we're scattered in our own individual homes, God wants us to be his church. Uh, a text that my wife sent me, I believe, catch, captures the view that probably accurately describes how God views this situation that we're currently in. The devil speaking says sarcastically, with COVID-19, I closed your churches. Then the Lord responds, on the contrary, I just opened one in every home. Today marks the beginning of a new series of sermons that I want to preach uh, during this time. And I'm entitling the series, Be the Church. Be the Church. And the first message in the series is crucial because in order for us to be the church, you and I who are born again through faith in Christ's finished work, we need to understand that you and I are the church. You are the church. So what that means is wherever you are, guess where the church is? You are the church. Now, as we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, he reminds them, he says, you are the temple of God. And the word temple is used synonymously to describe the church. You are the church of God and the spirit of God resides, dwells in you. And if any man defiles the temple, the church, the place where God lives in believers, that temple will God destroy. Then he reaffirms you are that temple. And so we, we discover that the church, both collectively and individually, are, are the church. We, we, we constitute what the Bible defines as a church. Now, I want to answer uh, some questions that I believe will help us during this challenging time as we begin to move towards whatever 
uh, God has in store for his church in the future. And one of the questions I want to answer is through the scriptures, what is the church? What is the church? And secondly, we're going to answer the question, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Who's the head of the church? Whose church is it anyway? The third question that we will answer is, how did the first church function? What did church look like when it first started and it modeled the pattern that the Lord intended for the church? What was the template of the first church? And then finally, I want to answer the question, why does it matter how members of the church conduct themselves? Does it really matter uh, if we're away from other Christians? Uh, why can't we go out and back up our uh, our, our, our mini vans and our, our uh, SUVs and just load it up with booze and and or just in, enjoy ourselves in our man caves uh, during this time of uh, isolation. Why does it matter how those of us who say that we're part of the church conduct ourselves? And so let's answer the question, what is the church? Now, it's interesting as we discuss how we are the church. That New Direction Bible Fellowship is in the very process of, of purchasing property and uh, securing a building so that we can have church. And the amazing things that a building will allow us to do in the community to minister. But what we need to be very clear about is that the building is not the church. The building is not the church. So before we define what the church is, let me tell you two things that the church is not. The building is not the church. Now, the church is neither a physical building or a collection of assets, nor is it a function, is its function primarily to maintain these things. The church is neither a physical building or a collection of assets, nor is its primary function to maintain these things. Now, the word for church appears in the New Testament over 140 times, and not once is the word ever used to refer to a physical, material location. The church is not a building. The building is the place where the church meets. And when the church that meets in the building to experience worship and fellowship together leaves, the building remains, but the church is gone. And so we need to be very clear that even though we're not in a physical building, we call the church. If you know Jesus, the church is where you are because the church is not a building. We assemble as a way of following the example that was set in the New Testament. And one of the passages that comes to my mind is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, where the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, the gathering of yourselves of, as a congregation, as some do, but coming together on a, stead, on a regular basis so much the more that we may encourage and strengthen one another as the evil day approaches. We're in the evil day, and the scripture says we are, we are mandated, we are encouraged strongly, do not forsake the assembling. And so we come to a building because we are instructed to meet in a, in a central localized place, but we understand that the we that are coming are those who are the church. It's not the place that we're going to. The church is also not a denomination. The Bible never distinguishes denominations. In, the, in, in, in all of the scriptures, you'll never read about the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, the Episcopalian Church of God in Christ. You'll never read about a non-denominational church. The Bible does not distinguish the body of Christ either locally or universally by denominations. All denominations are man-made. Now, they're not wrong or right because they're man-made but they become wrong or right when the 
titles of a particular group use unscriptural bases to divide the body of Christ. In the New Testament, the way churches were identified were by regions. So if you lived in the city of Ephesus and you were a Christian, you remember the church at Ephesus. If you lived in Colossae, you remember the church of Colossae. If you lived in Corinth, you remember the church of Corinth. If you lived in Rome, you remember Rome or Galatia and so forth, Thessalonica. And so if for instance, if you live in Delaware and in the New Testament, a church was started, it would be we would be referred to as the church of Delaware or at Delaware. And so church is not a denomination. I've often asked people, are you a Christian? They say, no, I'm a Methodist. Are you a Christian? No, I'm Catholic. No, a Christian may go to a place that has a Methodist or Catholic or Baptist denominational title, but where you go doesn't make you a Christian. Somebody say amen. amen. So the church is not a denomination. In fact, the Apostle Paul really captures this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, where he says, I've heard that there are disputes among you. Uh, uh, he says, my brethren um, and sisters, some of close household, has informed me that there are quarrels among you. What do I mean by this? One says that I'm following Paul. Others say I follow Apollos. And another says I follow Cephas. And still another says I follow Christ. And then Paul asks the question, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul says, wait a minute. We have divided the church based on who our individual favorite preachers are. And so some say, I'm a Paul. Paul is, Paul is conservative. He's a seminarian and he has wonderful outlines and he can exegete the Greek and the Hebrew. That's my pastor. I'm a follower of Paul. And then some say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Apollos. I follow Apollos. Paulus was a young whippersnapper who was eloquent, and I could imagine he was GQ and how he dressed. He knew all the modern uh, terminologies, and he was tech savvy, unlike me. Uh, he would have been uh, the guy that the younger crowd probably would have been attracted to and said, I follow Apollos. And then there were those who said, no, no, I hear you go to, I know you go to Paul's church and some of you go to Paul's church, but you have, you haven't heard Peter, Peter's old school. He walked with Jesus. And I, I can just imagine that, that when, when Peter preached, he might, he might have hooped a little bit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I saw Jesus when he was going to the cross. And of course, he's not going to say in his sermon that he was somebody who denied Jesus three times, but Peter was old school. He was traditional. And some said, I follow the traditional way. I like, I like uh, gospel music. Sometimes I like contemporary gospel music. And so Peter would have represented the traditional, uh, the traditional uh, groups within the church. And then there were those who were so super spiritual, super saints. We don't follow Paul or Apollos or Peter. We follow Jesus. We're so holy that when we walk, our feet don't even touch the ground. Isn't it convenient that those who follow Jesus can do it from earth, even though Jesus is not physically present? What they're actually saying is, is that we ain't submissive. We ain't committing to nobody. We're going to do it as we, we, we're going to blame stuff on Jesus that Jesus never said. And so denominations is not what defines the church. Now, therefore, what is, what is the church? Now, the Greek word that we get our English word or term from for church is ekklesia, ekklesia. And in, Mac, in March, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I am going to build my church, my ekklesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's interesting that while Jesus was alive, he spoke of the church as future tense. The church did not exist before Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, I am going to build my church, future tense, and the gates of hell will not prevail, prevail against the church that I am going to build. The church came into existence on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the church was assembled in the upper room, praying on one accord, and the Spirit of God came and indwelled. 
And so the first thing we learn in terms of what the church is, it is a called out assembly, a called out congregation, a called out congregation, called out from darkness, from sin unto light, unto holiness for the purpose of living for the Lord and accomplishing his will on the earth. And so the church is a called out assembly, a congregation that has been called out of darkness Ecclesia brought out of darkness into the light so that we can serve the Lord with hope and in holiness. I like the way the writer to the Hebrews uh, uh, puts it. He says, the church, the ecclesia of the firstborn, Jesus Christ, whose names are written in heaven. So in order to be a part of the church, your name needs to be written in heaven. You need to be saved. You, it's not just enough to have your name on the church roll. You need to have your name written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. So, so the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, the spirit of the righteous, that the spirit of the righteous may be perfect, that we have been called for a purpose. He said, I have, I have, I, I have, I have created you unto good works. And so the church, therefore, is a called out body of believers who have been left in the world to accomplish the will of the Lord. And because we are members of the family of God, in order to be a part of the church, our names are written in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so that's what the church is. The church is not a building. The church is not a denomination. Now, let me just, uh, I'm going to be telling on myself during the sermon today. When, before I got saved, I really believed that the church was a building and a denomination. Now, the denomination determined how I dressed when I went. If I went to some churches, I had to wear three-piece. If I went to another church, I only had to wear two-piece. But whatever church you went to when I was growing up, you had to wear a suit. My problem was only had one. And uh, thank God that it had a, a reversible jacket so I could turn the jacket inside out uh, uh, so it would look like I had more than one suit. So I would be cussing somebody out. We'd be sitting on the church step. And I'd be just giving it to them. And man, I would, I'd be, I mean, I create a whole new language how I could cuss. And then I would realize I was in front of the church. I was in front of where God is. So I would say, wait a minute. And I would cross the street. And then I would start cussing again because in my mind, I had made God a location. I had made God a place. I didn't, I didn't understand that God, a building can't hold God. I didn't understand that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but he has decided in his sovereign will, he has decided to localize himself yet remain omnipresent because the Bible says you are the temple of God. In a special sense, God has taken ordinary dirt. That's what we are. We are created from the dirt, dust of the earth. God has created ordinary dirt and he's placed inside of this clay vessel called our human body, the spirit of God. And when he, he entered into our bodies, we were separated, called out of darkness to light, to serve the Lord. And in that context, we became a part of the church, the church, the called out assembly, the congregation. So the church is not a body, not a building, but it's a body. It's the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ. And it is not a denomination. Now, who's in charge of the church? Who's in charge? I'm glad you asked. Jesus promised, I've already said, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, he says, I will build my, my church ownership. I will build my church. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he added, and Peter, I'm going to give you the church, plurally, keys. And whatever satanic gates, if it's COVID-19 or if it's SARS or whatever it may be the next time, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I'm so glad that we don't have to worry about what's going to happen to the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. The church of Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. Uh, we may be meeting in different places. We may be meeting and having church a different way. But he said, I will build my church in the very gates. 
every gate that the devil erects against the church, you have a key to unlock it and to exercise dominion over it. He didn't say, I'm going to build a, a, a physical edifice and the devil's going to come against the building. The devil won't care about no building. What the devil does care about is what we believe about the building. If you think you can only have church in a, in a localized building, then the devil has gotten victory. But we understand that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. And so whether we are gathered or scattered, Jesus is in the midst because you, you are the church. Wherever you go, that's where the church is. And so Jesus promised, I will build my church. Not only did he promise that he would build his church, but Jesus' power gives him absolute authority over the church. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, the scripture says, and he is the head of the body. The church, the ecclesia, he is the beginning and, uh, and the firstborn, the prototype, the template of all those who are going to be resurrected from the dead. So that in everything, he might have supremacy, preeminence, control, sovereignty. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. Jesus' power gives him absolute authority over everything that happens in his church that he is yet still building. He is still building the church. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the scripture says, keep watch over yourselves. Paul speaking to the pastors that were meeting at Miletus before he leaves them and sees them for the last time in, in route to Rome to be executed. He says, keep watch over yourselves. That is, be mindful of your own spiritual walk with God. Before pastor can help anybody else, he needs to keep watch over his own soul. And the flock of God, which is the Holy Spirit, the flock of God, which, it, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, be shepherds of, of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. Jesus purchased the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly that had been separated from darkness to light to serve him. He has, he, Jesus paid the price by shedding his blood on Calvary. He paid the price. You and I are God's property. We've been brought with a price and the, that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about that statement in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, he says that the church was purchased by Jesus's blood, which means that he has ownership over the church. And Paul said, but while Christ has ownership, he gives the stewardship of his church to pastors. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Now, it's not our flock, but it is our stewardship. Our job as pastors is to manage what belongs to Christ. Now, a, a, a steward is, is someone who just manages the property of another. It's the, it's, it's the person, we don't call them stewardess anymore. I don't know what you call them on the plane. You know, that's offensive. It's politically incorrect. But anyway, a stewardess back when I was growing up, it was a per coffee, tea, milk, sir. They didn't own the plane. They typically worked for the company that owned the plane. And so a steward is a person who manages the properties that belong to another. And so the responsibility of the pastor is to be a good steward. He said it is required of a steward in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, to be found faithful, not sensational, not have the biggest church, not have the greatest following, but to be found faithful. And so Jesus, by ownership, has authority and power of the church, and the pastor has the responsibility by stewardship to shepherd the flock of God. Now, let me tell, let me share another little insight uh, telling on myself. I mean, some years ago, I pastored a church, and I'm not going to tell you the location, but one of the members was having some financial problems, and he needed to have a vehicle to get to work. And so he came to me and he said, look, I have no money, and my credit is horrible, but I need to rent a car for a week. Can you help me? So I thought about it. I can't say I absolutely prayed about it, thought about it. I said, okay, I'm going to let you use my credit card. So now by ownership, the card was mine. By stewardship, I gave him permission to manage my car for a week. 
for a car rental. So after the week was over, I thought nothing of it. And then about three weeks later, I get my bill from the credit card as the owner of the credit card. And this joker had extended the week of the, of the rental to two weeks, purchased him some groceries and, and some other items without telling me. So I call him up in the name of Jesus and I, and I asked the brother, I can't tell you everything I said. I said, uh, who gave you the, the authority to add more charges to my card? He said, well, while the card was still active, that is under my stewardship, I thought it would be okay if I had if I used the card to do what I needed to do, I'll pay you. What's the, I'll give you. Now, of course, he hadn't told me he did it. I had to find out when I got the bill, he offered to pay. But a steward doesn't have the right to tell the owner what he's going to do with what he's been given the responsibility to manage. He's using my credit card and taking care of stuff. That wasn't what I agreed to. He, I didn't give him permission to do that. And I had the right to give him permission because of ownership. He had the, his only right was to manage based on the restrictions I gave him. I want you to know that the church is, is the steward of the body of Christ. And it is our job to execute the Lord's plan, not to do what we choose because Jesus is in charge. He's the head of the church. I'm, I'm all for singing and all for mommy's day and daddy's day and cat and dog and sister Sally's day and back home day but we're going to see that's not the primary role of a steward Our, the stewardship that we've been given is to manage what Jesus has ownership over Jesus is in charge of the church and the last I know he's still seated at the right hand of the father with all authority with all power in his hands. And this same Jesus is interceding for us. And I really believe one of the reasons why we have this corona crisis, we call it a crisis. I, I, God calls this kind of pandemic a plague. And God has said if his people who are called, if the church who is called by his name, the ecclesia, would pray and seek his face and humble ourselves, turn from sin, God said, I'll heal the land. I'll heal the land. So I believe this is this is really a church issue. God wants us to understand what the church is and who's in charge. But let me share what the church is, how the church functioned in the early church in the in the first century. And when you get a chance, this is Acts chapter two, verses forty-two through forty-six. And the Bible says, "And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine." That's discipleship. So a part of what the church did was educate the body so that they could grow into the full mature, into full maturity in Christ. So they steadfastly met on a regular basis for discipleship to educate the church. The second thing, and they fellowship. So they had discipleship. They had fellowship when they met. And that was for edification. Like discipleship is for education. Fellowship is for edification, building up the body. So they met. And fellowship is more than Dunkin' Donuts. It's more than a good, uh, 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 what's my favorite cake? My Cheesecake Factory uh, carrot cake. It's more than a carrot cake with somebody. Fellowship is intentionally building relationships that honor God and help brothers and sisters to grow strong and reach their full potential in Jesus. And so they fellowship, they disciples, there was discipleship. Then the Bible says, and they broke bread and they had prayer and the fear of God was upon every soul. That's worship or edification. They worship God, they prayed, they broke bread and there was an awe, there was a reverence of God. There was praise and there was, there was I, I can imagine, I know a part of it was singing and and, and there you see throughout examples in the New Testament where they would shout and break out in the praise. I can't help but think that somebody gave a testimony. I believe if Minister Will was here right now, he'd be giving you a testimony during our time of worship to show you and share with you how good God was to him. We thank God for answered prayers. And so they worshiped. They had discipleship. They had fellowship. And the scripture says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold. But before that, it says many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So now you have stewardship. That is the use of spiritual gifts 
for serving in the body of Christ to reach the lost. There were many signs and wonders, spiritual gifts, and then they said they had all things in common. They were, they were meeting the needs of the body and also for those who didn't know Jesus. And so there was discipleship, there was worship, there was fellowship, there was stewardship of spiritual gifts for service. And then the Bible says, and the Lord continued to add to the church daily. There was partnership. The church joined with Jesus to complete what he had already started. He said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so when the church is involved in evangelism, we are operating in partnership with Jesus Christ. And so the church did five things. There was discipleship, there was worship, there was fellowship, there was stewardship, there was partnership. And when the church comes together, all those elements should be, should be involved. That's the template. All the extracurricular things are really secondary and not necessary. Those five things are the model for us to follow in the New Testament. Here I go again telling on myself, I was the oldest my mother would leave the house to take care of business. She said, I'm going. She never tell us when she was coming back. Never say when she was coming. Always like she wanted to catch us in something. Anyway, she uh, would go out. She'd give us an assignment, tell us what to do. And then she would come home and ask us if we completed our assignment. And most of the time, she never, if we said, yay, mom, yes, mom, she would not question our honesty. Uh, and then we could get ghosts. We could hit the streets. That was a goal. Get, get, get to the streets. So every now and then, she'd have the audacity to say, let me see what you did. Why you got to go there? I mean, I gave you my word. And of course, when I didn't feel like doing my assignment, I would always do something else. I really liked hanging out in my mom and dad's room for some reason. What I, what I really did, I would be experimenting. i take all kinds of perfumes and i will mix them all together. And, and, and I just knew I was making some new potion. But anyway, she, I, she'd come home and she'd check my work and she says, why didn't you complete your assignment? And then I would say, well, I cleaned your... And she said, that wasn't your assignment. And then because I hadn't done my specific assignment, she said, you grounded. Oh, man, that's the worst thing you could ever do. I'd rather give me a spanking, uh, take my money, don't tell you I can't hit the streets. Why would she punish me? I did something in the house, but what I did in the house wasn't my assignment. I want you to know when the church is off of its task, when we aren't doing the five things, the purposes of the church, worship and discipleship and and, and, and uh uh, fellowship and stewardship. And when we fail to do that, I don't care whatever else we're doing. It's window dressing. The Lord wants us to do his assignment. And when judgment starts, he said it starts with the household of God. Are we as a church, the called out ones, the, the assembly of God, the congregation that has been pulled out of darkness to light to serve? Are we fulfilling the purpose of the church? And if we're not, God's going to ground us. And I really believe it. this is what this is all about. God wants us to get refocused about what the church is. The church isn't a building. It's not a denomination. The church doesn't set its own agenda. Jesus is in charge. And when we're not following, sticking with the script, then he will ground us. Now, let me just conclude with why it matters. How the church members conduct themselves. It's always funny to me. Uh, husband might be, I mean, literally at the verge of going to blows. And uh, you hear noise in the background where things that they didn't pull down is falling. And then the, the phone will ring. And then it's the pastor or an elder of the church. And and uh, the husband who's been yelling at the wife or the wife who's been answer the phone. Hello, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. Isn't it really interesting how you can change the tone of your voice because you think somebody might think differently of you outside of your house, but you act like Beelzebub in your house. And so it does matter how the church conducts itself. The Bible says you are the temple of God and that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, resides and dwells, lives in you. And, and the you in that passage is plural. It refers to the local assembly as well as the universal church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. 
There are all kinds of members of the church that, that people of color, people that are white, people who are Asian are part of the body of Christ around the world. But he says, you make up the house of God. His spirit is living in you. But if you defile, if you contaminate, if you corrupt, if you disrespect this temple, the church as a corporate body and as an individual, God says, that temple will I destroy. That temple will I destroy. Now, here's what's interesting. How can you defile the temple of God corporately? How, how does the church do that around the world? I believe that there are at least, uh, I'm going to give you six things real quick. And when you get a chance, look at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. There's seven letters that are written to the existing churches during the time the Apostle John is uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. He's going to die. Uh, before, uh, he gets to return to Ephesus before he dies. But he, the, the Lord appears to uh, John. Uh, he who was dead now and once alive appears to John. He gives him the revelation concerning end time. And one of the things he does is give him specific instructions for the seven churches that existed in Asia Minor. Those seven churches also historically represent how the church throughout history would reflect its relationship with Christ. So they're like seven caricatures of the church throughout the throughout the ages. So here's some let me just quickly give you some things that defile the church, the body of Christ. One is when you get a chance uh, was false doctrine, teaching that are not that are from the pit. The Bible says in the last days men will deny true doctrine, teaching as a doctrine of the commandments of men. And so false doctrine is a way that defiles the church. What the Lord is, what he says to the seven churches, he said, if you don't correct that which is defiling me, correct and, and contaminating the church, that is not allowing the light of the church to shine, shine and preventing the salt of the earth from being what it was created for. God said, I'm going to put your lampstand, I'm going to put the flame of the light of your church out. I'm going to put Ichabod in front of your church. The glory of the Lord has departed. So false doctrine will shut a church down. Doesn't mean that you don't meet in the building. Doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of money in your bank. It doesn't mean that you got a, you don't have a, the largest choir. But what God says, when you're teaching that which does not agree with Scripture, that's false doctrine. And he said, for that reason, I'm going to shut you down. A second uh, thing that shuts down the church is that temple will God destroy. Here's another thing that will shut the church down is the lack of love for Jesus. The church at Ephesus in verses Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Jesus, uh, the church at Ephesus was guilty of loving Christ too little. They loved the ministry. They loved church activity more than they loved Jesus. Jesus says, you have left your first love. And so the lovelessness of a church for Christ will cause him to shut the church down. Now, he said, well, I love Jesus with all my heart, body, and soul. Well, one of the clearest evidences of your love for the Lord, the Lord said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sin, and we will fellowship one with another. So the way we treat others, when the Bible says, love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and then the second evidence of this vertical love for God with all of our, with everything that we have in us, is going to be evidenced horizontally. Love your neighbor as yourself, because how can you love God who you have not seen and hate your brother? And so one of the clearest evidences of a loveless church is how we treat the people that God brings into our path when the church is gathered and experiencing church together. Jesus says, by this men will know that you belong to me by your love one for another. So the lack of love will close the church down. A second thing that will close the church down, is a third thing is spiritual pride. The church of Laodicea. The Bible says, you, I wish you were cold or hot. You're lukewarm. You make me sick to my stomach. He said, you say you, you, you say you have vision, that you're clothed and you're rich. But as far as I'm concerned, that pride has caused you to, to not be aware that you're blind, you're naked, and you lack vision. And so spiritual pride, sometimes churches think that they have arrived. Sometimes churches think that they don't have to grow. Sometimes Christians get so comfortable in what they learned 10 years ago. You learned the three, three or four Bible verses. Now you're a biblical scholar. And so the Lord said, I'll shut it down because of spiritual pride. Not only will it shut down for spiritual pride, but sexual sin that starts with the church leadership and spreads to the body. It talks about the sin or the spirit of Jezebel that was in one of the churches where Jezebel 
had her, her spirit was one of sexual promiscuity and the church was aware that unrepentant sexual sin was going on, but they did not address it. And so when sexual sin goes unaddressed, unabated, and the Bible said, don't you know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, that sin that we know about and do nothing about, God said that that will spread, it will destroy the church. I'll shut it down. I'll turn that church, that individual over into the hands of Satan for the destruction of the body, that their soul may be saved. And so sexual sin in the church that is not addressed will cause the Lord to put the light of a candle, which is a church. He says, I will destroy that body. Here's another reason uh, that was that, that caused the Lord, that how we can defile the temple, witchcraft that leads to compromise. The Bible talks about one of the churches, I believe the church at Sardis, that it became the central headquarters of Satan, that there was witchcraft being practiced in the church. And witchcraft is not just somebody with a pointed nose and somebody riding a broom, but it's a spirit of rebellion. The Bible says in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 24, that the sin of rebellion, uh, deliberate, willful disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft to God. And so there's a spirit of witchcraft. There's a spirit of following the dictates of Satan. There's a spirit in the church that, that actually tells the church that we can pray curses on people and, and that we can stand before uh, uh, people, people of God and prophesy things that God never said. That's a spirit of witchcraft. And the Lord said, I'll shut down the church for the spirit of witchcraft. I want you to understand that spirit witchcraft still exists in the church. The Lord said, I'll shut it down. And there's a final thing. There's deadness. Uh, he talks about the church in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, uh, where he talks, and I've got the two churches, the church of Sardis. He, they were living off of their former reputation. The church was dead. It had been pronounced by God from heaven. It had no life in it, but they were thinking about how great the church was 20 years. Church started off as a movement. Then it became a, a, a monument, and the monument became a mausoleum, and then the mausoleum became a memoriam. But they were still bragging about the, how they got their building, how they got their pews, and how large the choir was, and, and, and how the pastor could pack it out. But now they're five members, but they're living off of their old reputation. And so the Bible says, because of the church being dead, living off of the past, rather than what I'm doing in the present, I'm going to shut it down. That, that temple wall I destroy. And then on a personal level, the re, how, how we can defile of the temple of God is by personal sin by, that we don't forget, that we won't repent of. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, he said, for this reason, some of you are sick, others are weak, and some of you are even God has taken you out. You have died. You have fallen asleep because the refusal to repent. And so when at on the corporate level, we saw those six things that the Lord says can shut a church down. And I'm not limiting the list of those six things, but at, those are at least six things. And then in a, on a personal level, if we do not repent of our sins, if we don't confess our sins, agree with God about what he said, he said, the way of transgression is hard. Beware your sins will find you out and that we will reap what we sow. God chastens those who he loves. And there's also a sin unto death. First John, James chapter uh, 5 verse 21 talks about there's a sin that I don't care who prays for you, what doctors you go to, what medicine you take. If you continue to live in sin as a believer and the spirit of God is living in you and you are the church and you are there for the church, God said, I'll take you out of here. And so there's a sin unto death. And so we've learned, what, what is the church? The church is a called out body of believers who've been called out of darkness to light to serve the Lord. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We learned who is in charge of the church. It's Jesus Christ who is in charge. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus has given the stewardship of the church to pastors and leaders to, to manage his church, but he never advocated ownership. Jesus is in charge. Then we saw the functions of the church, worship, discipleship, uh, uh, stewardship, partnership, and fellowship. We saw that's what the church, the template, that's what should be happening when we gather as a local assembly. And then we talked about the corporate and the personal consequences when the temple of God defiles the body, which is the church. God says, I will destroy that temple. And one of the, as we close, 
one of the Bible stories that I really uh, I love is in, in, in Acts chapter 20, verses uh, 9 through 11. And it's about the Apostle Paul as he's making his way uh, back through the churches that he's planted. And he has a, he, con he calls a congregational gathering and they meet in a large banquet hall to have church. And so the church gathers and they have these very, they have these oil lit lights and they're flickering and they're going in and out. And the Bible says that a young teenager named Eutychus went to church. Now he obviously was tired before he went to church, probably was up all night Saturday, you know, maybe watching Netflix or something. So scripture says he sat on a window's ledge in the banquet hall and these flickering lights are going on and off and it's, you know, it's hard to see, body smelling the oil and the old saints are thinking they really having church. Look at, we got a stained glass window and you can barely see. It's so dark in the church. You can't even see your hand in front. Oh, they we having church and I got to make a big old organ in the background. But the Bible says that Paul preached long. Paul preached for hours. And so Eutychus was trying to hang in. He was trying to, I mean, he was, he probably was, was really trying to understand everything that Paul was saying. I mean, a teenager, a millennial in church, come on now. Yeah, you got to give him some credit for that. But over time, the brother went to sleep and he forgot where he was. And he literally falls out of a third story window onto the ground and he dies. He he, he he suffers a fatal injury as a result of falling out of the window. So the Bible says Paul was still preaching. He hadn't even come to his clothes. He was still talking about in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. And then he noticed that Eutychus wasn't in the window anymore. And so he said, now Paul could have kept on preaching. Oh, this is a church. We, we have a church. We got the lights. We got the stained glass window. We got the organ. I'm about to go into my hoop. I'm about to go into my clothes. Folks, you know, throwing their towels up. And, and the sisters been out getting their holy dance. But no, when he saw that Eutychus fell out of the window, he stopped preaching. And the apostle Paul, while having the church experience in the building, he got, he came from behind wherever he was preaching. And he walked out of the building and the church that was in the building experiencing church with him followed him. And the apostle Paul uh, didn't care about what kind of suit the brother had on or what kind of clothes he himself had on. The scripture said that he wrapped his arms around Eutychus. And he gave, he became to Eutychus, when he wrapped his arms around him, he became a, a Holy Ghost defibrillator. And the Bible says that Eutychus, who was dead, was brought back to life. I want you to understand, if Paul thought that the church was the building, he would have kept on preaching. If Paul thought that the church was somehow restricted to some, some, some four wall, he would have never left the building. If the folks who were in the room with Paul thought that the church was just brick and mortar, they would have stayed in the building. But the church is not the building. The church is not a denomination. The church is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has been called out of darkness to light to serve. And how was he served? Somebody was dead. Somebody was hungry. Somebody had a need. And the power of the Holy Ghost, when he's working through the church, that which is dead, that which is buried, can be brought back to life. But if we don't get it, we are the church. You are the church. You have the authority of Jesus Christ dwelling in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You can pray and dead things will live. You can pray and demons will tremble. You can speak and the word of God will bring back to life those things that would otherwise remain dead. You are the church. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you have called us out as an assembly, as a congregation from darkness to light to serve you. We thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we thank you, O oh God, that you are yet through your son who purchased the church through his blood. The church is his. He has final and absolute authority. We thank you for the opportunity for stewardship. But God, we understand that the church is not ours, it's yours. And so right now, oh God, as the church is meeting in separate places and we're experiencing church differently, may we be clear that you are still present because where the spirit of God is, that is where the church is. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Praise God. Praise God. Now, if you're here and you've heard the message today, I said that in order for you to be a part of the church, your name needs to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. To confirm that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you need to make a decision. The Bible says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We've all done wrong. None of us are perfect. But God says in his word also that the, that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is separation, is death. But the good news is that the free gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn eternal life. If you could, the best that we could do would be it would not be good enough. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God, through Christ, demonstrated his love for us. He proved his love for us by allowing his son, Jesus, to voluntarily die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus, who never sinned, the Bible says that he became our substitute. He who knew no sins bore our sins on the cross, that through him, what makes us the way we ought to be, God deposited into our bankrupt spiritual account righteousness. And now, through Jesus, through faith and what he did on the cross for us, he was buried. And on the third day, he rose through what Jesus accomplished. God will put in the place of our sinfulness, the righteousness of Christ. And when he looks at us through what Jesus did, he declares us righteous. That means he can look at you and me just as if we've never sinned. So if you want to make it right with God right now and say yes to Jesus, would you just simply bow your head and pray with me? And I also want you to do a second thing. After uh, we finish uh, the live stream, would you just uh, uh, call us, leave a message so we can follow up with you uh, or send us a note? We would be happy to follow up with you and share with you from the word of God how you can grow. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that Christ died for my sins. I believe that he was buried and that he rose on the third day. And I believe that if I trust him plus nothing else, you will give me the free gift of life that never ends in your presence. And at the moment that life is deposited into my life, I become a part of the church. And so, Lord, I receive Christ by faith. Forgive me of my sins. I accept that Jesus is not just a mere man, but he was God in human form. So I'm asking you that you would not only become the savior of my life, but the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for paying the price for every sin, past, present, and future. I accept you as Lord and Savior. Amen. Father God, we thank you for each person who prayed that prayer. And I pray, oh God, that they would share with, with someone else so that another believer can walk with them so that they can grow and be like Jesus on the earth. We thank you and we praise you. And I'm asking you to remain uh, as I give the benediction. Uh, I'm going to also thank you again. I'm asking my wife to come on in as we prepare to give the benediction. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you again. We praise you for who you are. And now may the grace of God and the love of Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with you now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the blessings of the Lord be upon you. Amen. Emmanuel.
right.